All right, here's what we're about to do together before we dive into our text this morning is we're going to talk about marriage today. Um, This is where the text is, um, and we're going to see that together. And so what we want to do, and we do this every week, is before we begin to unpack what God has said, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. And we want to do that together as a local church. And in a real specific way, I want to ask you to join me this morning. Is I want us to pray through several different um, types of people that are represented at Grace Community Church. And how this message on marriage can land on those several different types of people. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the body of Christ today. And I ask you to join me in that prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we gather today in the name of Jesus. Help us never to get used to saying that, Lord. That we don't belong in places like this and holy places with your people. God, what a privilege. What a privilege, Lord. For a rebellious people to look all around them and see brothers and sisters in Christ. Those whom you have changed, Lord, made new. And we come together today, Lord, and our desire is to magnify your saving work in our life and your glorious supremacy in all things. And so we do that today, Lord. We believe what you have told us in your word. We trust you, Christ. We are a group of people who have shared in the likeness of your death, Lord. There's a part of us that died with you, Jesus, never to be seen again. And we praise you, Christ, for putting the old man to death on your cross. And Lord, we believe you. We believe your word that just as we have shared in the likeness of your death, Lord Jesus, we share in the likeness of your resurrection. And it's true all around this room to every believer that you have caused your resurrection power to come alive in us, Lord. And we ask God that you would visit us today. With the power of the Holy Spirit. And that you would bear witness to the power of your resurrection. Specifically as it regards to our marriage, Lord. God, give us power to live a holy life in marriage. Give us power, Lord, to love our wives and to love our husbands. Give us power, Lord Jesus, from heaven to live a supernatural life in our family. To book to death sin, Lord, that clings so closely to us. God, I pray for the marriages of Grace Community Church. Lord, I pray that you would be merciful to us, a sinful people. Be merciful to us, God. Cause love to cover over a multitude of sin in this local church. And God, we summon you for power today. We invoke you, Lord, for power today. We call on your name and we ask you for help in our marriages. All around this room, Lord, that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us in our love for one another. Strengthen us in our duties toward one another. Strengthen us, Lord. Help us to make progress in godliness where it matters most, Lord. God, help us to represent you in every area of our life rightly and not hypocritically. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that as we give attention to your word today, that you would 
extend the power of your resurrection to us, Lord, that you would be faithful to us and that you would be good to us. God, I pray for the singles in this room, single members of Grace Community Church. God, a few of these you have called to remain single. And I pray for them, God, as they, as they hear your word today, that you would flood their hearts and their minds with contentment. And that they would be, you would bear witness in their life what we just sang. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Lord, show them that you're enough for them. That you're more than enough for them. You're the treasure in the field. God, I pray for my single brothers and sisters in this room. That long to be married. God, I thank you for those longings that you put in a man and in a woman. And I pray that same prayer for them, Lord, that you would help them to glorify you in this season of their life. And help them to wait on you with tremendous contentment, Lord. And with faith and trust in your sovereignty and in your goodness in their life. God, I pray that you would cause them. To give attention to the things that we look at today in your word. God, cause them to pursue these things before they ever land in marriage. Before they ever find themselves married. God, use the things that we look at today to remind them of what they're looking for in a spouse. What you call a godly man or a godly woman. God, I pray for... Divorced members of Grace Community Church, our brothers and sisters whom we love tremendously. God, I pray that as we give attention to marriage today, that you would protect them, Lord, from being overwhelmed by reminders of a marriage unraveling and the personal pain involved in, in that divorce. God, I pray that you'd help them today. I pray that you would help them to get outside of those painful memories, Lord, and that you would give them a heart to look across this room to their brothers and sisters that are married and that you would give them a heart to strengthen those marriages, Lord, and that you would use them in this local church to build up the body of Christ. And God, I pray for our children in this room and the parents in this room. God, remind us as parents, Lord, that more than raising doctors and lawyers and construction workers, Lord, that you have called us to raise up husbands and wives. God, help us to pour ourselves out into this task of shaping little men and little women for your glory. God, help them in their youth to give attention to these important roles that you have called them into. Help them to take them serious. Lord, we ask that you would give us a sense of your presence today as we give attention to your word. Come and bear witness to your truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, our text this morning is going to be Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn and we're going to read verse 18 and 19 together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. These are the most important words that you're going to hear in the next hour. Most important words. Let's read it together. This is God's word to Grace Community Church today. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. These are words straight from the Holy Spirit to this local church this morning. Now, if you find yourself as a visitor to Grace Community Church today and you know, you're struck by the first thing I read to you. I want to encourage you that we are committed to something called expository preaching in this church, which just means this, that 95 percent of the preaching on Sunday morning of this church is going to be preaching through books of the Bible. And so the reason we land on this text today is because we have been studying carefully through passage by passage through Colossians. And this is the next one. And so we take it as a local church. We take it as the Holy Spirit gives it to us. And this is our text today. The Holy Spirit has addressed us on this topic of marriage. Now, before we dig into those uh, verses together, I want to spend some time on the front end walking through context. And actually, I want us to walk through several layers of context Before we get to verse 18 and unpacking it together. Because there's some things that I want us to grab and pull into verse 18. And so, let's start with the immediate context. If you have been at Grace Community Church for the past several weeks and past couple of months. As we have worked through Colossians chapter 3. We have seen the Lordship of Christ and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Applied to several areas of the Christian life. And what we see today is we see um, something that's no different. That that the Holy Spirit has zoned in on another area of the Christian life. And he zones in on marriage. And so in the immediate context, this is an expression of the Lordship of Jesus being extended into our lives in the area of marriage. Or to say that another way, okay? Verse 18 and 19 is an example of what it looks like when King Jesus reigns over you as a wife and when King Jesus reigns over you as a husband, okay? This is an example of his supremacy, of what his supremacy and his lordship looks like in a Christian marriage. Okay. If you want Jesus to reign in your life, that means you cannot ignore this topic. Okay. He exerts his lordship into this area. So that's the immediate context. We see some authority of Jesus Christ leaning in and being applied to our marriage to one another. Okay. Now I want us to back up. And I mean back up quite a bit. Okay. So that's where we are in Colossians chapter 3. And then I want us to think about another layer of context, and that's the context of the whole Bible. And what I mean by that is I want us to come into Colossians chapter 3 with some sort of of mind that's informed of what does the whole Bible teach about marriage. You could call this a biblical theology of marriage. Now... We could go for days and days uh, for an exhaustive study of every detail that the Bible teaches us about marriage. Okay, But what I mean is I mean that exalted banner that hangs over marriage that sums it up in the best way that we can understand it. 
And so whole Bible context. What are some things that we need to know that the scripture teaches about marriage before we ever get to Colossians chapter three? And I think there's good news for us that, you know, there's a lot that we can get in two passages of scripture. Okay, and one is Genesis chapter two and the other is Ephesians chapter five. So let me remind you uh, about those two texts and what we know about marriage before we ever get to Colossians chapter three this morning. Okay, Genesis chapter two. What does God tell us? He creates the man and God tells us. It is not good that man should be alone. This is God's word before the fall. Okay, Before sin enters into the world. God says it is not good for man to be alone. In Genesis chapter 2, his response to those words is to fashion a woman as a helper. Okay, A complementary, perfect companion to the man. And then the Lord God in the garden, he joins that man and that woman, Adam and Eve, together in a one flesh union called the covenant of marriage. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 sums this up really well. He says, Moses says this, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the foundations of Christian marriage. That's the foundations of biblical marriage. One man, one woman in a one flesh covenant, the covenant of marriage. This is God's design and God's work. And again, I'll remind you, this is his design and his work before sin ever enters into the world. Now, fast forward several thousand years in human history and God is is revealing more and more scripture to humanity. And the Apostle Paul takes that verse that we just read together, that we just quoted, Genesis 2, 24, and he quotes it in Ephesians 5. Verbatim, word for word, he quotes that verse in Ephesians 5, verse 31. Then his very next words, after he quotes Genesis 2, God's design in marriage, his very next words in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 is this. Listen closely. He says this. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so when we get a picture of what the whole Bible teaches about marriage, more than anything else, I want us to be reminded that this marriage covenant, this one flesh covenant between one man and one woman, more than anything else that you need to know about this covenant, is it is about Jesus Christ and his church. It is about Christ. It is a parable of the way Christ and his church relate to one another. Now, at the risk of being very simplistic, okay? I'm going to ask us to do something together as a local church. And I I want us to repeat this phrase three times. And I want us to say it really loud. Okay. Because I don't think we can be reminded of this too much. Okay. And here's your phrase. Marriage is about Jesus. Okay. So Grace Community Church. First time. Here we go. Ready? Marriage is about Jesus. 
Number two, marriage is about Jesus. Say it louder than the man-centered culture, okay? One more time. Marriage is about Jesus. It's the most important thing that you can know about Christian marriage, about biblical marriage, is it is about Jesus Christ and His church. We need to remind ourselves of this constantly. 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 And because we're about to dig into commands in Colossians chapter 3, I want you to see that there's a reason why we are given these commands in Scripture. They're doing something. They're doing something. And the reason that I want you to have this whole Bible context, and I want you to drag that marriage is about Jesus. I want you to drag that biblical doctrine into Colossians chapter 3. Is because I long for you to see these commandments not only as binding, but also as beautiful. I want you to see them as a beautiful opportunity to magnify the supremacy and the worth and the beauty of Jesus Christ in the way that you relate to one another as husband and wife. We cannot tell each other this too much. That marriage is like being handed a paintbrush. And the moment you get married, the paintbrush goes down to the canvas. And there's some things that are being scribbled. And the Bible teaches us that we're either reflecting a faithful picture or an unfaithful picture of how Jesus and His church relate to one another. Again, we cannot emphasize this enough. That marriage is about Christ. I want that beautiful, beautiful view of marriage. To be in the forefront of your mind as we lean into these commandments this morning. Whole Bible context. One more layer. I want to mention what I'm calling this morning a modern cultural context. A modern cultural context. And what I mean by that is I want us to approach marriage today with an awareness of the cultural trajectories that are around us in our generation. I want us to be aware of them. And it's really important that you're aware of the prevailing worldviews in your culture. And I'll give you two reasons why. One is the Lord Jesus has commanded us to make disciples in our generation. And that means that we are to make disciples of people who have worldviews that at times are exactly opposite from ours. And we need to learn how to engage them. We need to learn how, how, how they think and how to talk to them about all different kinds of layers of biblical truth. And so you need to know cultural trajectories around you. Second reason, more personal, that all of us in this room, we are more likely to be influenced by these cultural trajectories and these worldviews than we realize that we are. And we are, we are tempted to be, in the words of Romans chapter 12, conformed to the pattern of this world. So you need to know where things are moving. And you need to know what the prevailing trajectories are in your culture, the worldviews. And as it relates to marriage, here it goes. The majority worldview in our day, the overwhelming trend... In American culture is to stress 
the sameness of a man and a woman. The sameness of a male and a female. Or to say this another way, in our culture, the prevailing worldview is that any uniquenesses, any distinctiveness between masculinity and femininity is attempting to be eradicated. Eradicated. That's the current worldview. And the consequences of that trend have been devastating in American culture. And I'm not overstating this, okay? We have been hit by a tsunami of gender confusion in our culture just in the last five years. Just in the last five years. 2015, the Supreme Court in America legalized gay marriage in our nation. Fifteen years ago, you would have never dreamed of it. And you know, the culture has moved way past that conversation now. You know what the conversation is now? The conversation in the culture now, as ridiculous as it sounds from any level, the conversation now is that everybody has a right to determine what gender they are. A right to self-identify what gender they are. Even if that gender is exactly opposite of their biological sex. That is called a tsunami of gender confusion. And you need to understand the strategy there. Okay, Satan from the very beginning attacked this stuff. He attacked God's ordained roles for the man and the woman. And the way that he's doing it in our generation is he wants to remove... All the distinctiveness, all the uniqueness of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. He has thrown our culture into confusion. Into confusion. Massive amounts of confusion. So, where are we in the midst of that? Okay, We're standing in the middle of this tidal wave, this tsunami, and we're not caving. Okay, We're not biting that bait. We, we, we see that as a distortion of biblical truth. A distortion of what it means to be a man and a woman. And so the culture is losing that definition of what it means to be a man and a woman. And in the midst of that, we at Grace Community Church and other conservative Protestant churches like us, we hold to a theological position that is called complementarianism. Complementarianism. I want to explain that to you for a minute. Complementarians believe that the Bible teaches basically two things in this realm. And here they are. Complementarians believe that the Bible teaches that husbands and wives are equal before God and worth. And yet... We believe the Bible teaches that God has given each, the man and the woman, different yet complementary roles in marriage. And I want to tack a verse on both of those phrases, equality and the differences. The Bible teaches that man and woman are equal before God. Amen. Is that is that a stretch or is that biblical doctrine? It's Bible doctrine. And guess what? 
It's been Bible doctrine since Genesis chapter 1. From the very beginning. It's never been any different than this. In fact, if you can identify places in church history where there was something that was different than this that was taught. It was a distortion of biblical truth. A distortion of biblical truth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Listen, male and female, he created them. The Bible teaches that men and women are equal in value, in dignity, in worth, in standing before God. Why? Because they both bear God's image. They're image bearers of God. Both of them created in the image of God. We unapologetically shout that as loud as we can. There's no, there's no difference in worth, value. That's not what we're talking about. They're image bearers of God. And yet at the same time, we believe that is equally as clear in Scripture that God has given men and women, husbands and wives, differing roles before God in marriage. Differing roles, equal in value, Different functions, different roles. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. I'll read that again. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. And so what we see in those texts and others like it is that the God of Scripture, he has designed his creation with order. There's an order to God's creation. And you see that with the word head. It's a sphere of authority. That's one of many spheres of authority in Scripture. And what it means simply, very simply, what it means is that God has designed husbands to lead their wives. And then the other side of that is equally as true. God has designed wives to be led by their husbands. This is, has nothing to do with inferior or superior value. Nothing. Nothing at all. This, this is about a differing role before God. A different function in marriage. Now I want you to make sure you see this. Okay, Headship and submission and spheres of authority. Marriage is not the only place where that, takes, where that happens. And that's one of the big misunderstandings uh, in our culture at large and the way that we can misunderstand it is that we just see this applying to marriage and nothing else. But listen, brothers and sisters, look all over God's creation and everywhere you look, you will see spheres of authority everywhere. Listen to just a few of these. Children are submit to their parents. Citizens are to submit to their government. Church members are to submit to leaders. Employees are to submit to employers. And guess what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see that the incarnate Christ even submits to God the Father. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. There's nothing demeaning about them. It's part of how God has set up his creation. Spheres of authority. He's put some order in his creation. There's design here. There's design and order in the way that God has created us. And the way that we function together as societies, as family, there's order here. And the thing that we need to remember is that order comes to us 
from a good God and an all-wise God. A good God and an all-wise God. Because you know what? All of us know that each of those spheres of authority that I just read off, they can be, um, they can be corrupted. They can be corrupted. And we can have reaction doctrine instead of Bible doctrine. And reaction doctrine looks like you see the corruption in one of those spheres and you just react against it. And you see authority as a bad thing. But the Bible never teaches that. Authority is a gift from God. He's added order to his creation. So I want us to remember that. Even the things that we're looking at today, they were in God's world before sin entered God's world. And so... I think we can say this with tremendous confidence. Headship and submission. Okay, This is not about oppressing human beings. That's not the design. That's not the intent. In fact, God's good design is exactly opposite. God has given authority for blessing. Okay, Not for dominating, but for blessing. For serving those under authority. That applies in every realm that I just read off. Government, children, employee. All of those. Every single one of them. They're not meant to be oppressive. These structures of authority are not meant to be oppressive. They're meant for human flourishing, for human joy, for blessing in our lives. I want to read you one verse. Three times in the book of Deuteronomy, we have some version of this reminder from God that He gives us His commandments for our good. For our good. And I want us to remember that as we think about headship and submission. I'll give you one of those. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28 says this. Be careful to obey all these words that I command you. That it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right. In the sight of the Lord. So there's our context. We've seen the big picture of marriage. We've seen the lordship of Christ. We're seeing a countercultural, something countercultural that God has called us to. And this is part of his order that he's injected into his creation. And what we're about to see in verse 18 is just the application of everything we said. And I want you to see it as the application of that glorious doctrine. Of marriage is about Jesus. Let's start with the command to the wife in verse 18. And it very simply says this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. I want to press into that word. I want to make sure you understand it. What it means and what it doesn't mean. So we'll sit here for just a minute. The actual word submit is the word hupotasso. Okay? It has a prefix and a root. It makes one word. The word hupo is a Greek prefix that means under. Means under. And the word tasso is a Greek root that means order. Okay? Now, etymology, the way a word breaks down, is not always a good way of defining a word, such as the word butterfly. Okay? A butterfly is not a fly dipped in butter. Okay? It doesn't work in every scenario. But sometimes, but sometimes it does. And this is one of those cases where it does. This is a really good definition of submission. Under 
order. Okay? Under order. This is a command for, her, for a wife to get under order as it relates to her husband. I want to say one more thing. The word is in, in Greek what is called the middle voice. The middle voice. And what that means is it's highlighting the voluntary nature of the wife's submission. And what I mean by that is never ever in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, is any husband told to subjugate his wife, to make her submit to you. Do you understand that? This is, this is something that she voluntarily does of her own will. It's a commandment of Christ. That she used her own will to get under order in relation to her husband. So I want you to put these things together. This, this picture of God's order. And I want you to see it like that. Okay, There's a reason why the apostle didn't say, obey your husband. Those, those concepts are not synonymous. They're not completely removed from each other. But there's a, there's a reason why. And God, and this is there's some beauty here for you to see and understand that as it relates to your husband, you're supposed to have this mindset that something is bigger than me and him. Something bigger than me and him is at place. And it's this mindset and this appeal for you to recognize God's order, the way his, that he has structured his universe. And so I think a really good way for you to view this commandment is for you to view your husband, listen, as your God-ordained leader. Your God-ordained leader. Now those three words in that succession are very important. Not, not just leader, but your God-ordained leader. Okay, And the reason that that's important is it takes the focus off your husband and puts the focus on the sovereign God and how he created this world. He is your God-ordained leader. And guess what? He is not that because he is smarter than you. He is not that because he is more valuable than you. And listen, he's not even your leader because he's more able to lead than you. He's your leader for this reason alone. He's God-ordained leader of your marriage and your family. And this is a commandment for the wife to put herself under God's order as it relates to her husband. Now, I want to tell you something. This week, I polled a small group of wives and husbands at Grace Community Church. Okay? And I sent them two things in, in this poll. And it was this. Brothers and sisters, separate text messages. I know if you're getting this and I wanted some kind of sample of this local church. Because I want you not to feel alone in these things. I want you to look at around this room and you don't feel like you're cast away on an island, but you feel like you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in the same battle that you are. So here's what I said. I said, I'm sending you this text message because I know you love Christ and that you're serious about obeying this commandment. Whether it be wives submit to your husbands or husbands love your wives. And I said, and the second thing I know about you is that you do not obey this commandment perfectly. And I said, can you give me some feedback of the most common reasons of why you find yourself disobeying this commandment? Okay. And the wives overwhelmingly gave me two reasons. So did the husbands. Okay. There were some nuances to them, 
But you can trace almost every one of them back to these two things as it relates to wives submitting to husbands. And the first of those reasons that they gave me, and I believe that they're right, so I'm just passing them through straight to you. And the first reason that they gave me was unbelief that God's ways are the best. Unbelief that the way that God has set up his creation is good and right and the best. And they find themselves in a battle to believe that. A battle to believe that God is good, that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing and how he orders the world. He knows what he's doing and how he has joined me to this man. So they said, you know, in the midst of those battles, if that becomes fuzzy to them or if unbelief creeps up in in regards to this, what God has called me to do is best and right and good. They find themselves disobeying this command. And what that means for the wives in this room is you're in a battle to see this authority structure that God has put in place. It's about what he has done. Okay. The danger is when we're always focused in on the horizontal and you're only looking at who your husband is and what he's done. And God is calling you to get under his order the way he has ordered the world. Okay. Headship and submission is good, not bad. It's a path to blessing, not missing out. We need to preach that to each other. Okay. We need to preach that to each other. I'll give you a couple of things here. I would encourage you to view your submission to your husband in a twofold way. In a twofold way. An internal and an external way. Or you could say it like this a disposition and a response. A disposition and a response. What do you mean by this? Submitting to your husband is a disposition. Okay? It's a mindset. That this is the way that you think about him. Okay? It's not just responding in an external way to things as they come up. It's a way that you view somebody. It's a way that you think about him. And so I think God calls calls you as a wife that you view him in the everyday rhythms of life as your God-ordained leader. Your God-ordained leader. It's a disposition. The way that Ephesians 5 says this, to get to the internal part, is it says, let a wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, Not just begrudgingly going along with this path of leadership or this path of leadership, but that you respect him. You have a disposition of, that's my God-ordained leader. There's some internal stuff here that's at play in submission. Respecting your husband. But we also have to say that it's also an outward response to your husband's leadership. That when he leans into a certain direction of leadership, you follow him. You follow him as your God-ordained leader. This brings me to to the second most common reason that the wives of Grace Community Church say that they struggle to obey this commandment. And here's the reason. One sister says, I feel a form of pride in myself that refuses to follow my husband's leadership. And at the very root of it is in those moments, I think that my way is better than his. I think that my way is better than his. If you are a wife and that sounds familiar to you, be encouraged that you are not by yourself. This is where the battle rages for you, right? 
So part of uh, the war, part of the battle is you know where to put the troops. You know if the battle is raging way back there, you send the troops way back there. And I really want to encourage you that more than anywhere else, I think the battle rages for you in these areas of unbelief towards God and pride in your own life. Pride in your own life. And I think that these mindsets will keep you from obeying this commandment. Now, I want to mention two quick clarifiers. Okay, One is really quick and we'll spend some time on the other. And one quick clarifier. Listen to this. The Bible never teaches that women are to submit to men in general. Never teaches that. The Bible teaches that wives are to submit to their husbands specifically. Okay? And so, as the men of Grace Community Church, you join me in this. Okay? The Bible never teaches that women submit to men in a general sense. That's how male chauvinism has distorted biblical texts like this. To support unbiblical lies about gender roles. It's never in there. And we just say as members of Grace Community Church. Don't come to my wife imposing that stuff on her. And don't come to my daughter imposing that stuff on her. Right? She has one husband. And one father. She doesn't walk around submitting to all men in general. This is something very specific that God has commanded. And I think that's important for us to know the difference, okay? This is not women taking a lowly place in everything. This is a specific structure of authority as it relates to a husband and a wife, okay? I see maybe some questions on that. Please come ask me if you have confusion, if you have confusion. Second qualifier, a wife is to submit to her husband. Are there any other qualifications? And the Apostle Paul says, absolutely. Look at what he says in verse 18. Absolutely there are other qualifications. Are you out of your mind? Absolutely there are qualifications to that commandment. He says in verse 18 that her submission is to be limited by, listen, what is fitting in the Lord. What is fitting in the Lord. And so this text carefully clarifies for us. That if a husband attempts to lead his life, his wife into something that is not fitting in the Lord, she is not to follow him in that area. Acts chapter five applies to this situation. What should she do? She should obey God rather than man. There is an authority that is higher in her life than her husband. It is the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ. She should obey God rather than man. Now, I want you to notice in verse 18. I want you to think about this with me. That phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, you know what it assumes? Wife, you know what that assumes? That you're married to a sinner. That you're married to somebody that is not beyond the ability to lead you into sin. You are married to a sinner. He has tendencies to lead you in areas that are sinful. And you need to know that. You need to know that you are not married to a perfect husband. And listen, his leadership, if you're looking for perfect leadership, you don't get that in this world. 
You don't get that in this world. That's not about what, what, what this is calling us to. Just that phrase in and of itself, it shows us that your husband's leadership, it will not be perfect. It will not be perfect. I want to say this before moving on. This is just a word of caution that as we give a qualifier of do not follow your husband into areas of sin. I want to give you maybe a word of caution of not smuggling things under that title that shouldn't be in that title. In other words, we're talking about the commandments of Christ being broken, not your personal preferences being broken. And I think that that's a real danger that that and I'll give you an example. OK, this is this is not a real life one, but you can apply it. OK, there's some subtle ways that we that we can that we can attempt to run away from the commandments of Christ and him exerting lordship on our life. And one of those ways may be for you that you smuggle personal preferences into this phrase, things fitting to the Lord. And so I would just encourage you to make sure if that's something that you're in the middle of, or you feel like your husband is leading you into something that's sin. I would encourage you to make sure that you're talking about breaking written commandments of scripture, not breaking personal preferences. Okay. Okay. Just to give you a really silly example. This is just to, to, to drive this home. You know, if you're, if you, if you're talking with your husband at lunch, okay. And, and you say, you know what? We're out of mayonnaise. We need to go get some, uh, we need to go get some mayonnaise at the grocery store. And the husband says, you know, why don't we go to Kroger? And you say, well, you know, I prayed about it and uh, I felt like, you know, God was leading me to go to Target and uh, and and to go to Kroger would be violating my conscience and going against what Jesus has called me to do. And you know what? You can go to Kroger all by yourself. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to Target. Uh, and so my point is, I know that's really silly. OK, but that's a hyper spiritual way. That we can play some games with that. It is a real thing. You need to know that. It is a real thing that a, that a sinful man would even, would even tell his wife to forsake Jesus Christ and to worship false gods. And we need to be real careful about the things that we smuggle into um, that phrase of, of as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, moving on. Transition to the husband's role in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Something just just for you to note for yourself. That at the time that these New Testament letters were written. This, by the way, this is called a household table. Okay? A family code. And in the this is not just a Bible thing. In Greco-Roman culture, these were very common. And even hundreds of years before the New Testament was written, it was very common to have something like this playing out of wives do this, husbands do this, children do this, all kinds of ways that the family should be governed. All kinds of different codes, all kinds of different household tables in every single one of them, wives were expected to submit to their husbands. And not a single one of them commanded husbands to love their wives. When these men read those words, they were counter-cultural in every way you can imagine. They're upheaving sinful society and the oppression of women in their culture. They're counter-cultural in first century. 
And if we really understand them, if we really understand what God is calling us to as husbands, we'll see them just as countercultural in our day. They're still just as countercultural in our day. Paul uses the word agape here to describe the deep sacrificial love that a husband has for his bride. And again, just like her submission, this love, it has an internal and an external dynamic to it. I want to encourage you to see it like that. It is both affection and action. Affection and action. Let's talk about affections for your wife. Affections for your wife. You can say it like this. A husband must have tremendous affections for his wife or he is in rebellion to Christ. That's what the text teaches. Lordship of Christ is being exerted in our life and our roles as husbands. And if we don't have affection for our wife, we're in rebellion to Jesus. We are in rebellion to Christ. So we have a tendency to to, to define love in ways that the Bible doesn't do it. And one of the ways that we are tempted to do that as men is what? You know, I love you. I go to work. I work so hard. You know, I love you. I pay the bills. You know, I love you. Uh, Everything's just, just like you would have it. And you need to know that the Bible calls you to give your wife your heart, not just your hands, not just your duty, not just the things that you do. Give her your heart, your delight, delight in your wife. All kinds of commandments in Scripture with this type of language. I'll give you just a few. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Listen close, husbands. It says this. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Not stay married to her. Not make sure you make it. But listen, listen to me. Rejoice in her. Give her your heart. Rejoice in her. Affections towards your wife. Tremendous amounts of affection towards your wife. The husband is to value her as one of God's most precious gifts to him. She is valuable to him. There's value there. There's affection there. She's precious. She is a treasure. I don't just put up with her. I want her around. I'm hurting if she is not around. Affection. Her company is who he wants to be with more than anybody else. Affection. Give her your affection. Give her your heart. Do you want to be around your wife more than you want to be around any other person on the planet? Your affection. Listen to one more verse here. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Not endure. Not endure. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Affections for your bride. A wife is to be a husband's highest earthly priority. Listen to what I'm saying. I don't think I'm overcooking this. Just listen to me. A a wife is to be a husband's highest Earthly priority. And you say, you mean above children? Yes, I mean above children. 
The Bible never says that you are one flesh with your children, but the Bible says that you are one flesh with your wife. Highest earthly priority means that God has called you to love her with tremendous affection, tremendous affection. But that's not it. That's not it. Okay, that's not the whole picture of what the Bible calls us to when it tells us to love our wives. Because the Bible teaches us that when that affection is sincere, when it's genuine, it produces acts. It produces external stuff. It produces works of love. Not only affections, but also actions. And you see this in Ephesians 5. Listen to this phrase in Ephesians 5. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's it. A love for your wife that produces a giving yourself up for your bride. A husband's love. Is to be tremendous affection that produces Christ-like, self-denying acts of service toward his wife. And what that means for us, brothers, husbands in the room, is as God has given us this place of authority, this place of headship, it tells us that this is never to be used to gratify yourself. That's a distortion. Of any sphere of authority, it's a distortion to use that role to gratify yourself. We're called to Christ-likeness that we use that place to deny ourselves and serve those under our care. It's not a call to self-gratification, but self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. Now, we'll let the husbands of Grace Community Church weigh in in our conversation this morning. And you know what they said? Every single one of them. You could trace it back to, to two things that are really the same thing. Two sides of the same coin. That I struggle to love my wife and to keep this commandment for these two reasons. And the first is, and the first is, when I do not see Jesus Christ rightly. When I do not see Jesus Christ rightly. And what they mean by that is we have a t- tendency, and I'm throwing myself, I amen that all day long, all day long, for myself, okay? We have a tendency to break this command when we do not see Christ rightly, specifically His sacrificial love in Ephesians chapter 5. The Son of God bleeding out and dying for His bride, laying His life down for His bride. And we have tendencies to define love in other ways. Are you loving your wife? Yeah, we're not fighting. We're not fighting. We're not having any arguments. No, 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 no. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Laying down your life. We're not, we're not vivid. When that's not in the front of our mind, we define love wrongly. And therefore, we don't keep this commandment. To lay our lives down for our wife. And the second is like it. The second is the other side of that coin. That we will have tremendous trouble obeying this commandment. Why? Because we have deep rooted stains of selfishness running through us. It's there. It is a sin that clings so closely to us. 
God has called us to selflessness. And we have this a part of us that's stuck on self. Stuck on it. And there's a battle that rages right there. Right there. We have a tremendous tendency to put ourselves as first and foremost. And when we do that, we have no chance of obeying this commandment. No chance. We can do romantic Hollywood stuff and have warm, fuzzy feelings. But you cannot lay your life down for your wife unless Jesus Christ is in the front of your mind. This is the only way it comes. The only way it comes. That's the only sword that can kill selfishness. And I'm right there with you, brothers. And I'm encouraging. We, we, we need to hear this from one another more and more and more. We need to confront this deep-rooted selfishness. How? With a vivid view of the crucified Son of God. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth that lays down His life. For his bride. Tremendous self-denial. Tremendous self-denial. And what this means for us. Is that we have to remind each other frequently. This is part of being in fellowship together. And stirring one another up. To love and good works. That brother, husband in this room. You have received authority from God. You are the head of your wife. But you have received that authority not to be served, but to serve, to lay your life down, to deny yourself. And singles in this room, I think this is a good opportunity, single men, for us to stop and pause and say, this is what being a real man means. No matter what your daddy told you, your grandpa told you about what being a real man means, this is real masculinity. Every other, other thing is a pseudo version of what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine. Someone who is masculine, who radiates masculinity is someone who lays down his life for his wife. And we need to exalt that and call each other to it because we're all in the midst of this battle. Every single one of us of selfishness and putting these things to death. Our number one enemy as husbands is always going to be selfishness. I want to leave your role with this phrase. Blessed is the man who leads his wife with her highest spiritual good as his highest earthly aim. Say that again. Blessed is the man who leads his wife with her highest spiritual good as his highest earthly aim. Are there any qualifications to this commandment? Paul answers yes in verse 19 with this phrase. And do not be harsh with them. And do not be harsh with them. Now, I'm going to say something here and I'm going to front load it. That it is true that a husband should not be harsh with his wife. Perfectly true. Okay. But I'm going to sharpen the way that this is translated. Because we want to go for accuracy. We want to understand exactly what the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on with this text. And I think there's something else here for us. Okay, The word that is translated harsh in that verse is used four times in the New Testament. Every other time that it is used, it is translated bitter. Same truth in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. The majority of way that that word is translated is bitter. It means bitter. Okay, So a better translation would be this. Don't be bitter towards your wife. Even sharpening it one more time. Okay. 
It's in the passive voice, which means that this is something that you allow to happen to yourself. So, so in the most accurate way, we could say this. Husbands, do not allow yourselves to become embittered towards your wife. That's exactly where your attention needs to be. Okay? Your number one enemy in loving your wife is going to be becoming embittered towards your wife. This is developing a deep-rooted, sour attitude towards your bride. And I want, I want you to think about that. Why in the world would that be there? I think it's there the same reason that that qualifying statement in verse 18 was there. So at the end of verse 18... And the end of verse 19, you get these little reminders to the wife first and then to the husband. By the way, you're married to a sinner. You are married to a sinful husband and a sinful man. A sinful wife and a sinful woman. And so it doesn't even make sense of why you would become embittered if your wife is perfect. Makes no sense. This presupposes... Listen, this presupposes that your wife is not perfect. It presupposes not only has she sinned, but she will fall. And listen to this. These domineering mindsets that can land. Even her submission. Listen, even her submission will not ever be perfect in this life. And what's your response to that? Not to be embittered towards your wife. You are to love her with a christ like love, she will never be perfect as long as you are married to her. And if you expect her to be, guess what you set yourself up for? Unbiblical expectations as a leader set you up for becoming a bitter man. A, a man with a sour attitude towards his bride, embittered towards her, tired of leading her. And you know what that's a pathway towards? Domineering, tyrannical, sinful headship. It's like poison in the heart of anyone in authority. Bitterness. This is a leader that is marked by fault finding when his wife trips up. Instead of for the forbearance of Jesus Christ. And so you identify that for yourself. What are some points of tension right now where you are tempted to be embittered, frustrated, instead of Forbearing, forbearing when she falls short. We have to be on the lookout for all forms of bitterness in our hearts. Now, I want to close with this reminder. I've been saying this several times that that we're in this fight together as husbands and wives. You don't need to feel like uh, you are the only one that struggles in these areas. And we want to encourage one another to be faithful, to move forward in these areas. So one of the ways I want to encourage you as a husband and as a wife is stop being surprised when you fall in these areas. Stop being surprised by it. Okay? God told us in the third chapter of the Bible that this was going to be a struggle. So I want you to turn there. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 16. God tells us that one of the things that sin would now do after it's unleashed in his creation. It is that it would corrupt the gender roles that God had designed in marriage. This would be a mark of the fall on the human race. Let's read it together. 
Genesis 3.16. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That verse describes the distortion of the wife's role and the husband's role. She will now be marked by an innate desire to control her husband through manipulation or deception. And he will now be marked by a desire to dominate his wife through control or even force. Stop being surprised when this stuff arises in your life. Okay, We're told this in the third chapter of Scripture. And so part of that is, is we want to amen that. That God, your word is true. This battle is real in my life. If you were to put a hashtag on it, you could say this. Genesis 3.16, the struggle is real. Right? It's real. It's real. There's no exceptions to that. Okay? Godly people are, are husbands and wives who learn how to put this to death. Not husbands and wives who never struggle with this stuff. Okay? That's not what godliness is. So, the struggle is real. And I want to encourage you with that. Don't be surprised by it. But at the same time, I want to remind you, if you're in Christ in this room, that the resources that Jesus has given you are even more real than this struggle. Amen? You have a crucified Christ that has given you His righteousness. That means you can fall 50 times, but you're righteous and you're going to rise up again. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And even more than that, you have the indwelling presence of the resurrected Lord. That you have the ability to to have power over these things and to put these things to death. Not because you're wise or you have become strong, but because Christ lives in you. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 tells us that the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God. That's where the victory is. And this battle is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. And I'm encouraging you. There are different seasons of marriage that you could be in all across this room. And when I say the power of Christ and faith in Christ. I mean this. That He can break the hardest patterns of sin in marriage. Nothing is beyond His power. Nothing. Let that land as an encouragement to you that He is able to help you. He is able to help you. So I'll give you a final encouragement as a wife. When Peter begins to describe, the Apostle Peter, when he begins to describe this this submission of a wife to her husband, I want to remind you that he says it's like covering yourself. It's like covering yourself with a beautiful garment. It's like adorning yourself with a beautiful garment. And so, sisters, wives all across this room, we love that you put a lot of time into looking beautiful. We love that stuff. Okay? We love it. Don't don't stop doing that. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying this, that more than anything else, this is what's beautiful to God. When a woman takes this attribute and she takes... This command serious and she wraps herself. I want you to see yourself like that. Like you're wrapping yourself with the most beautiful of garments and let that hammer against what the culture is telling you that you're being bound by these things. And you're saying, no, I'm adorning myself with beauty, beautiful in the eyes of God. And I'm carving a faithful picture 
of this relationship with Christ and his church. Husbands, I'll encourage you with the same way. You have been given an opportunity to magnify this picture of Jesus Christ and his bride. And so I'll leave you with this question. When does a man look more like Jesus than when he is laying down his life for the spiritual good of his wife? You answer that question. This is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity that you have for to, to model and to show Christ's likeness. When are you more like Jesus when you obey this? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask God that it would be life to us. Make it life to us, Lord. Your words are spirit and they're life. And God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would apply this word, these texts today in hundreds of ways all across this room. Feed your people, Lord. Come feed us with bread from your mouth today. In Jesus' name, amen.